Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. This is where we explore third-way leadership in a polarized world, and we ask what it means to keep Jesus at the center through it all. We hope you'll find the conversation meaningful and that it equips you in your context with fresh approaches to facing some of the most challenging leadership and ministry questions of our day. And hey, if you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! We are a relational network of churches and ministry leaders with a vision to unite equip and amplify a movement that is all about Jesus. You can look us up on social media or head to our website at JesusCollective.com to learn more, find out what it means to get involved, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we're featuring a pre-recorded conversation from our Jesus-centered preaching experience. Dr. Brian Ross of Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary is an associate professor of pastoral ministries. He's a former church planter and a fantastic interpreter of cultural trends, especially as they relate to ministry and Christian leadership in post-Christian cultures. In this conversation, Brian shares 10 important insights for how to best communicate the message of Jesus to secular-minded every day people. We think this conversation will challenge and equip you to better communicate and translate Jesus-centered wisdom to the spiritually curious people in your church, your friendship circles, and business contexts. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's go ahead and begin. Uh, we just want to do a little bit of table setting. want to officially welcome everybody. And uh, Angela, they came back. Yay! <laughs> Um, we are thrilled for what happened last week uh, with Leanne Friesen and Mark Scandrett. Um, I, I heard good things, too, about the workshops and just people were having good conversations, exploring some of these themes that are so relevant for where we find ourselves today. Um, and I just want to, again, set the table and remind us, like, everything we do as Jesus Collective is, is to create these transformational spaces for Jesus-centered leaders like you to unite and, and just be equipped in these very complicated times that we're leading in. Uh, our hope is that uh, you can explore through today and then in other ways that we gather as Jesus Collective, kind of this third way, this centered set leadership with Jesus that at the center. And what does that mean for us today in like polarized times? And we hope that these times are like rocket fuel uh, for the very important work that you're doing. Uh, we said that last week at the start, um, we want to provoke you. We hope that this time equips you, but we also hope it provokes us to like increase the size and the capacity and the saturation of Jesus in your preaching and your teaching and communication. Um, uh, I guess this is Fresno Day uh, because our, our two plenary speakers this morning, Brian and Reese, are from Fresno. And uh, we have a mutual friend named Forrest Jenin, foreign forest pastors in Vesalia, which is south of uh, Fresno. Uh, and I was speaking with him recently and Forrest said, when already Christians come to their church, they have to orient them to what kind of church they are. And Forrest says, uh, we tell them we're not a Bible church, we're a Jesus church. And, and it doesn't mean that they reject the authority of the scriptures or anything like that. Scriptures in every sermon that they preach. But it means that they're clear about their purpose and who they are, that scripture is not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. And so this is what we're here to explore on day two. Are we Bible teachers and preachers who reference Jesus? Or are we Jesus preachers and teachers who skillfully use the scriptures 
to saturate minds and hearts with vivid pictures of Jesus, pointing people to Jesus at the center. Uh, and we think in these exciting and these complicated times uh, to be leaders and influencers in the church that, um, that we need to create spaces where we can address the challenges of our day. Well, uh, it's my privilege to introduce my friend to you. Um, Brian Ross and I have been friends for many years. Um, Brian is a professor at Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary in Fresno, California. Uh, Fresno is unique, the seminary, in, in that they identify as a say, evangelical hearted ecumenical Anabaptist seminary. Uh, and I like the combination of those things. Brian was a, a church planter in one of the most unchurched cities in Pennsylvania for about 10 years. Uh, Brian is a great thinker. He has spent years teaching other ministry leaders how to connect to secular people uh, who just no longer see the relevance of the Christian faith in our increasingly post-Christian context. Um, Brian, it's great to have you with us. I'm so thankful uh, that uh, you've made the time and that our community gets to hear some of your voice and thoughts on this matter. So thank you. Thanks, John. Um, great to be with everyone. Um, what, what I'm going to be sharing is a mashup of my personal experience and lots of observation of all sorts of churches and all sorts of contexts and a little bit of research uh, that some others have done. But I, I do want to remind you that what is going on the ground all the time, what is happening with normal, everyday people and faith is always a little bit different than um, what is selling like hotcakes um, from the publishers at the moment or always what's trending on Twitter. And I think, that's, I, I think that is something we should all keep in mind. Uh, what happens on the ground um, is what matters most. That's how the kingdom expands. But it's not always as sexy as what's trending on social media or uh, what the latest hot author is, uh, is promoting today. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things I say, to say today that a lot of good people will disagree with. Uh, my, my good friend, Reese, who I think is the best preacher in Fresno, I'm sure will disagree with me on some things. And uh, I fully admit that, that what I'm saying might not be completely accurate. But if I had to bet $10,000 of my own money on what kind of preacher would find some effectiveness at connecting with post-Christian people, um, the, the 10 statements that I have is the kind of preacher that I would put my money on, particularly for, um, for someone from this kind of group, kind of a Jesus-centered Anabaptist kind of group. Uh, I might have different things to say if I was speaking to um, a, a, a lot of uh, biblical literalists or a completely mainline setting, but for this group, uh, these are the kind of things that I think really matters. And, and as John mentioned, I'm going to do a workshop later today. It, it won't be going over the same material. I will talk a lot more about the, the personal preparation uh, that a, a preacher who's regularly going to connect with secular people or people outside of faith or, or post-Christian people have to engage in. So I uh, hope you have that document here, and I'm just going to start working through it. So, number one, 
most of what follows will be pointless if you do not personally, and by you I mean the preacher, believe that knowing Jesus and his way are what people need more than anything else. Yes, even more than a therapist appointment or having the right view on social issues or even understanding your Enneagram number. This means believing in transcendent otherworldly realities as being even more real than this world's realities. The church and even more the kingdom is frankly a waste of time unless you are offering something that people cannot find anywhere else. Now, I want to be clear. Um, my students know this on campus. I tell them all if they're in ministry, they should see a therapist indefinitely every month. Um, I participate in some social activism myself. Uh, I have great friends at the seminary who teach both of these things. And yes, I was teaching the Enneagram years before it was cool. So I'm not saying there's nothing of value to any of those. Um, following Jesus includes leaning into these different areas of life. But I think it becomes clear over time to your listeners, if you literally actually think that they need to personally trust and follow the ways of Jesus, or if you think they're fine and great people, if they vote this way, if they're in touch with their personality, if they've been working through their childhood with a professional psychologist, as long as you're doing that, it'd be great if you were into Jesus, but, but, but that stuff's okay. I think this becomes clear over time. And so a question I would always encourage you to ask is what can people only find with Jesus at a church that they cannot find anywhere else? Not in the therapist's office, not in a sociology class uh, at the university. Again, I'm not saying there's no value there. there. There's lots of value. But what can they only find with Jesus at the church that you are offering? Uh, personally, again, if I had to put my own money on who would be most effective at, at helping some secular people find new life with Jesus, it would be on the preacher who spends more who cares more about meditating on the life and teachings of Jesus in the Gospels and in prayer listening to him uh, than, than one who simply enjoys uh, laughing at more Colbert clips on YouTube or listening to more podcasts on deconstructionism? Not saying there's no value in those, and God knows I get lost in YouTube myself, but there is a difference, and, and I think your listeners pick that up over time. Number two, assume there are lots of people listening to you who did not grow up in the church or are familiar with the Bible, and yet who are also spiritually open. Most people are not churchgoers today in North America. Hardly anyone, even church members, are very familiar with the Bible or Christian theology. It is imperative that you always preach as if your listeners do not know the Bible have little church experience, and are not sure what they think about God and faith. Frankly, I, I, I have to be honest, as a former full-time pastor who now teaches pastors, most of my students are, are working in churches already, and uh, who volunteers at churches and preaches somewhere about 50% of Sundays, it still kind of blows my mind 
of how almost every preacher I hear, even nationally known preachers, even preachers that you like in the Jesus Collective, um, assume that everyone knows the Bible and everyone is familiar with the basic concepts that they are talking about. I mean, you can read all the stats. The numbers are falling off. In North America now, Jesus is simply one option among many. Not only do you have other religions or, or new forms of spirituality, but you have uh, different kinds of secular seminars on the value of meditation. You have certainly political groups that are promising the way forward. Uh, you have people using psilocybin and, and other hallucinogens now as the way to deal with all your childhood trauma. Jesus is just one option among many. But even for church members, they live in this secular age, to quote Charles Taylor. They live in this post-Christian context, too. They are being influenced by all of these things. Um, and, and still, I find very few peach, uh, preachers even acknowledge there are people listening to them who aren't sure what they believe or are not really familiar with the Bible or are finding these concepts new. Um, I, I, I don't understand it. And I would encourage you to preach every single sermon. How would you say it if your next door neighbor who is not a Jesus follower, who doesn't go to church, maybe who's known for, for getting drunk all the time, for whatever reason, came into your church that Sunday for the first time? Preach every single sermon as how you would want to communicate if your next door neighbor showed up. If you just do that, you are 80% of the way there at being an effective preacher to post-Christian people because very few people do it. And, and the, the secret is that if you preach this way, you're actually better for long-term church members as well. Uh, you will, you'll be more effective and you will make Jesus and his vision uh, more palatable to them in very real and tangible ways. Number three, you and your church cannot make Jesus' disciples out of everyone. Sorry to disappoint you there. The internet has segmented us into subcultures. You will likely have to focus your preaching on a particular psychographic. Now, what is a psychographic? Uh, I talk about this a lot with my students. They normally take some little while to get their mind around it. But it's people who have similar values and life narratives. So maybe think artsy singles in a major city or working class people in a small town or upwardly ambitious immigrants, but who, who still value uh, religion or suburban professionals with master's degrees or traditional conservative families or socially conscious progressives who pursue diversity passionately. Note that demographics, I'm not talking about demographics, but psychographics. Demographics focus on age and ethnicity and gender. And I think if you focus on that in your preaching, it's not going to be quite effective. And frankly, it's kind of gross. But psychographics focus on people's values. And that can transcend gender, ethnicity, and even age. Uh, but obviously, there's no such thing, even if there was in the past, which that's debatable, but there's no such thing as the typical Canadian or the typical American. The internet is a micro medium. It's not a mass medium. Um, a couple of years ago, the, the finality of, of 
the Game of Thrones, the series finale, was the number one watch show in all of the United States. You know how many people saw it? 5%. So we are all in micro cultures. Um, and I'm not saying one is better than another, but every, every um, psychographic or different group are naturally drawn to Jesus in some ways and struggle with him in others. And so it's unlikely that you can preach in any way that will reach everyone because every different subgroup have different questions and different hangups. Uh, for example, maybe some immigrants with a Muslim background uh, find Jesus to be too forgiving or, or too loose with God's law, while maybe educated urbanites find Jesus to be too exclusive or, or too prudish when it comes to sexual activity. And besides, you know this, whenever you're deciding what music style your church does or how you dress on Sundays or your speaking style, you are choosing a certain psychographic to speak to. So a question I would ask you to ask yourself or about your church is what particular type of secular person is our group most equipped to reach? And I am going to help craft my sermons for that type of person. Number four, preach Jesus of Nazareth as the one who offers the most beautiful vision of God, or, or maybe we would say ultimate reality, and who offers us, us the path to become inwardly beautiful people ourselves. If you try to imagine the most loving and beautiful creator that you can, Jesus's vision of God is more loving and beautiful than that. Now, you know, as, as good theologians and preachers and ministry leaders, that Jesus never offers comfort and success. What his way, what his kingdom offers us is how to become more beautiful inwardly. Um, we might want him to make our marriage work or to give us more money or to help our teenager or young adult child live the kind of life that we always thought they should be living. But if we come to Jesus for that, we're always going to be disappointed. If you know and trust Jesus, he doesn't offer those things. Marriage might still be complicated. You might not know what to do with your teenager. Um, you still might go through bankruptcy. But if you know and trust Jesus, your life can take on what we call biblically the fruit of the spirit. Or how I would translate that is this different kind of, of life or way of seeing our life where we are thankful for the life that we have. Even if it's not the one that we would choose, we're thankful for the life that we have. And we find that we have more patience and more care for people that we really disagree with and we think are wrong. Jesus offers us how to become those kinds of people, not how to get our lives working the way we want that to. Most people are not interested in Jesus because they want to live a great life in this imminent frame on kind of worldly terms. But the kind of post-Christian or secular person who might find Jesus, who is spiritually open, they will be drawn in to the Jesus that offers to change who they are from the inside out. Not their circumstances always, but from the inside out. 
Um, and frankly, this difference, I think this is part of why, in my opinion, some, some preachers are struggling. Because way back when, when we answered a call to go into ministry, we assumed that being a pastor or being a minister was a very positive way to be a, a public figure. That we could do good and be respected socially at the same time. But the way our, our culture is going, I think that is going to less and less be the case. And that's why some preachers are struggling inwardly. How do I have everyone like me and help people find God? Going to be increasingly difficult to do. But you can offer people with Jesus as, as the one who can show us how to become beautiful beings with him. Number five, frame Jesus less as a hip and clever rebel or a political prophet or a brilliant theologian and more as a mystical sage. If you do, you'll get the best of the other Jesuses thrown in. That, that's the, the rebel, the prophet, the theologian, but without their downsides. An emphasis on spiritual ideas and spiritual experience is the connection point with majority world epistemology, secular spiritual seeker, uh, seekers, and Christian movements that are actually growing and connecting with people. Many Anabaptist churches have official theologies that value people of color, but can also primarily offer an epistemology or a way of knowing reality or truth that is hyper-rationalist and not primarily spiritual. I teach whole courses on this, uh, but this actually comes from Eurocentric secular ways of thinking. That's where that comes from. Remember, there is a reason that Pentecostalism is the fastest growing spiritual movement in world history, not just in Christianity, of any spiritual movement in world history. Even in the most secular cities, you will find some charismatic churches that are filled with diverse young adults that are growing numerically. Um, you know, we, we've tried to frame Jesus in every way you can imagine, as an effective leader, as an anti-establishment rebel, as, as a hipster questioning traditional people, and all of those aspects can be found in Jesus. But historically, through the history of the world, and globally, most people would naturally see him as an Eastern spiritual teacher. Um, and we forget this as modern Westerners. I mean, the, the, his miracles and the supernatural are all through the Jesus stories. And yet we tend to downplay that all the time in some of our circles. I mean, the pinnacle of his life was the resurrection. Supernatural event cannot be explained through modern, rational ways of thinking. Um, you can find intelligent people in the universities. You can find hit people at bars. You can find would-be organizational strategists everywhere. Sometimes people hire me to do that. Um, and obviously you can find protesters at all political headquarters. But Jesus and his people are one of the few places in our culture where you can find a communal spiritual experience, where you can find narratives that help to explain what it's like to connect with the beyond, beyond this world. 
to gain an eternal perspective. Uh, perspective. You know, I think of, uh, I read this past year, uh, a member of the Comanche Nation, uh, First Nations, um, said, the white man talks about Jesus. We talk to Jesus. Last year, I had a bunch of students with a pretty prominent African-American theologian. And, and, and he said, from my community, uh, Jesus is like another member of the family. You might hear your, your mom in the kitchen talking, and some of you, some of you white people might be like, who's she talking to? And we know she's talking to Jesus. So some people wonder, is the future in North America truly secular because we're seeing a drop-off in religious belief and attendance? Or is this primarily, primarily kind of a white hyper-rationalist thing? And that the future of the church is alive and well in North America, but it's going to be brown and Pentecostal. Um, frankly, from my observation, the churches that are culturally engaged and thoughtful and um, tangibly spiritual, maybe you would say charismatic, are the churches right now that are reaching most young adults that have not grown up in the faith. Okay, number six. Offer Jesus is one who saves us from egocentric thinking and living and not merely from bad religion. Now, of course, Christianity can and does go south. I don't need to tell you that. But the problem isn't Christianity. The problem is egoism. It's people who merely seek their own ends and who abuse others seeking what they want in life. And whoever does that they use the dominant narrative of their group to justify their actions. So depending on one's circles, people will choose to justify their destructive actions based on a different authoritative appeal. In rural Mississippi, one may appeal to the Bible. In Iran, one may appeal to the Koran. In business circles, one may appeal to freedom or capitalism. In educated urban circles, one may appeal to justice. If we frame the primary problem as bad religion, you are primarily going to appeal to frustrated, burned out ex-evangelicals. And they matter, but this can unintentionally blow up the bridge that secular people need to cross to find Jesus. If a Buddhist offered a public talk that primarily emphasized how Buddhism can go awry, you might like them, you might appreciate them, but you'd probably be rather unlikely to sign up to learn more about the Buddhist teaching. Again, I'm, um, I, I see this over and over, particularly with young preachers. They think talking about the church's sins is outreach. And I don't think it is. It only draws in ex-fundamentalists. And I'm not saying that's ever needed, or there isn't terrible things that people have done in the name of Jesus, of course, but it's not because of Jesus. It's because they're terrible people and they're trying to justify what they're doing. But talking about that is very different than explaining why someone who grew up outside of faith, why there would be advantages in following Jesus. But again, to be able to communicate this, you have to believe this too. You have to believe that secular people need um, Jesus, and not simply that you need to get your friends and family to move out of bad religion. 
Number seven, posture yourself as a warm and empathetic friend who out of love has to offer some truths that may seem slightly offensive and possibly even crazy to contemporary educated people. Truths that you value, but that you also readily acknowledge most people will will reject. Obviously, rude, insulting, and arrogant preachers are an offense to Jesus. But also, preachers that merely affirm the values of secular people get boring really quickly. A loving and gracious speaker who's always kind, but who at bottom offers something that they admit will seem ridiculous to most contemporary people, they are the ones that can be used greatly by the Spirit. Preaching that primarily sounds like we are just like you, but hey, we are into Jesus, gains friends initially, but very rarely leads to anyone finding life transformation. I mean, I I remind you of what Jesus said. Uh, You see that there in Luke 6, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. That is how your ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, because that is how they treated the false prophets. Again, attacking people is wrong and ugly, but why would I listen to you if your description of Jesus is he's basically a late modern Western center left person, but he kind of, but but you kind of add a few Bible verses in. Um, I think it's helpful to say we know this is a minority view. We know most people will never agree this. We're not trying to take over the culture. But if you want to find a different way of life, if you want to find your creator, I know this will seem crazy, but here's what he says. Number eight, encourage people towards personal spiritual encounters with Jesus and not to your personal cultural way of life. Much more becomes possible if you do not assume that a new Jesus disciple will end up becoming like you. Churches that are effective at expanding the kingdom with non-Christian people often feel out of control in regards to what the Spirit is doing within those they are reaching. People who genuinely find Jesus will not necessarily take on your exact entertainment choices, vote for your favorite political candidates, or arrange their weekends like you do. You are pointing them towards Jesus after all, and not towards yourself. There is only one Lord, but there are lots of different ways of following him. Think about that. How do you point someone? How do you encourage someone to go towards Jesus without encouraging them to be like you? How would you preach in such a way that someone with a different personality, a different background, even different political views could find Jesus with under your teaching, but without feeling like they had to become like you? In my opinion, spiritual experiences and encounters is kind of that space where you can help secular people find God without just kind of pushing your culture on them. Number nine. Preach to people's affections, their core motives and desires, rather than only to their minds and or feelings. You are preaching for their transformation, not merely teaching information or playing on their emotions. Um, This is a whole thing. Again, I take a whole class session on campus to get into this. 
But historically, Jesus followers believe that human beings have three parts. We have our minds, our thoughts, we have our bodies, we have our feelings, but then we have our affections or our desires. We don't have that now. Post David Hume in a more secular Western context, we think we are only rational thoughts and we are only emotional bodily feelings. But historically, Jesus followers said who you are the deepest is your affections. It's what you love. It's what you desire. It's what you hunger for. And that's what um, determines who you are as a human being. And what you consider rational is simply what confirms to what you already want. Or what makes you happy is when you think you're getting closer to getting something you've already desired. What makes you sad or angry is if you feel blocked from getting something you already desire. So again, there's a whole bunch I can open here. But transformative preaching is not trying to teach more information as if learning new facts would change my life. And it's not simply trying to get people to cry or to feel bad about themselves. But you're trying to go at people's desires at their motives, at what they long for, and showing that that is most satisfied in Jesus and his kingdom. So you're asking yourself questions like, why did the Holy Spirit include this text in the Bible? How does it deal with people's deepest loves and desires? What does this passage or story reveal about what many people love or desire beneath the literal words of the text? Why do we tend to love or trust? um, What do we tend to love or trust in other than the person of Jesus? How would loving and desiring Jesus ultimately satisfy our deepest essence more than potential rivals? Why and how? Again, see people as lovers, as seekers, as desiring beings, and you are trying to help them desire and love Jesus instead of whatever it is they are pursuing. Then number 10. Speak to people's experiences and offer a different Jesus interpretation of their lives. Offer Jesus's life and vision as an alternative lens to see one's life through. Is a financially struggling and lonely single mom a failure? I mean, by our cultural values in some ways. Or like the crucified Christ, is she living the most meaningful life possible that will ultimately be Uh, be rewarded in praise. She's sacrificing everything that she has, her, her personal time, her finances to care and love for other people, her children. That's a different lens on someone's life. Name how God tends to show up in our lives. For example, you might say something like, have you ever had an inner thought that left you wondering where did that come from? One where you knew you could or should do something, something for another person, but it feels a little too challenging. Something that would be good to do, but it isn't you. Well, we call that God speaking. Modern people think of that as inner experiences or just a passing thought. But figures in the Bible would say that beautiful, challenging idea that seems to come from nowhere within is actually God speaking. So that is reinterpreting people's lives. So again, uh, this is less on trying to change people, as if you and I can, and more on giving them um, a different interpretation of their experiences. And I think you could boil down that this is the goal of spirituality in general, that this is even what salvation is, is becoming the kind of person who finds joy and meaning and God 
in the life that you have, even if you didn't choose this life, that you find joy and meaning and purpose, even in circumstances that were not what you always imagined. And evil or being lost is people assuming that they can and they should be able to create and have a totally different life. And this is what fuels everything from nation states to going to war, to, to people subjugating others unjustly to satisfy their needs, or to addictions. It's, it's trying to um, find the life that I've always wanted. And so re-narrate. Okay, so that's my, my too long of talking there, my too much material, but my, my 10 points. Hey, good job, Brian. That's, you put a lot into that talk and you gave us a lot to think about. So well done. Thank you. Okay, we're going to do Q&A, which I cannot wait for. I, there is so much swirling. So um, here's how Q&A is going to work. We're going to spotlight uh, Brian's video, and if you're game, just unmute yourself and ask a question. We realize two people are going to ask at the same time, and at other times, there will be awkward pauses. We're all prepared for it. It's totally going to be okay. If you are not comfortable asking a verbal question, you can put them in the chat. John and I will be hanging out there, and as we see things come through, we will insert those for you. Uh, so, light it up, people. Brian, I'll start with a question. Uh, in my chat room, uh, Dan and I were discussing what it might look like to have backyard church with non-Christians outside of our buildings and so on. And then you start to wonder about how do you, as a Christian or as a pastor, develop discussions, rapport with people that see truth from different sources? Um, and just, just give some tips on how to entertain discussion with folks who don't have you know, any of the foundation or basis when we would naturally want to point to Jesus as the source. Um, Michael, can you, can you say a little more? I, I wasn't exactly tracking with what you were asking about for the backyard groups or, or conversations. Imagine yourself going to the local pub and you okay. want to have a conversation with three guys you meet off the street. Mm -hmm. You want to find a way to talk about life and faith. How would you do it? Um, I, I, I think it would all depend on what, what their questions were or their background. Um, and that's where I, I was in an offhanded conversation um, saying to some friends in there, I do think we need all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people, because, again, these are micro medium machines. Uh, they're not mass mediums. And so depending on someone's political persuasion, their background, their values, uh, there's going to be different questions, um, hard questions, and there's going to be different ways they resonate with Jesus. So it, it, it's always going to depend on who uh, we're talking to. But I, I think in general, when I think kind of big picture, uh, modern North American culture, um, I, I, I think most of us have been finding through this past year, at least here in the States, I can't speak for Canada, that if we had this idea that Western society is just going to be a cakewalk and that we can all have these wonderful, comfortable lives. Um, that's probably not going to happen. Um, whether it's from um, awful political turmoils that hopefully it just stays as turmoils and doesn't become more um, 
or it's to uh, the pandemic and who, who knows where this is all going to go. And so part of what Jesus in his way offers is how do I become the kind of person that even when everything isn't okay, everything is still okay. How do I become the kind of person that even when I know you are not okay, I can still be okay towards you. Um, and that I don't know where you can find anywhere else in our society. Um, and so again, depending on who these people are uh, uh, sitting on the bar school next to me, uh, there might be different ways of framing it, but in general mass North American culture, um, I, I, I think that is what Jesus offers that that can't be found anywhere else. Brian, um, this might be an overly broad question, but how would you define spirituality? Hmm, that is a great question. Um, experiencing things of ultimate importance that are beyond the physical, tangible, material world. Um, just off the top of my head, that, 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 that might be what I would explain the most. Um, again, part of what makes the modern West different from other cultures globally, and certainly very unique historically, is that we all really think that um, our everyday material lives, our jobs, our romantic relationships, our families and friends, that we can make all of this incredibly exciting and meaningful and satisfying, and that somehow we are going to be the only ones that are able to hold on to that forever. That is part of what makes our society completely different. Um, and then on top of that, we think that we are basically good and we do not need to be apprenticed or learn a way of life that, that transforms our loves, transforms our values, transforms our desires. Um, and that's why, in my opinion, I think a number of churches struggle because we've basically agreed to all of those modern Western values and we're trying to put Jesus on top. That, um, yes, you can have this wonderful, fulfilling life. Um, y yes, you can be hip to the culture and down with the latest trends and everyone love you. Um, yes, you could be um, everyone's favorite in the arts community. Um, and yes, you're going to live to 300 years old. And, and yes, everything's great. But, but you also need Jesus. Um, and, and, and it just, we are offering very little. Uh, we, we don't tend to offer a path of transformation. We tend to think if we just learn more Bible concepts or the right social views, we will be changed people. That doesn't deal with our inner values. It doesn't deal with our habits. It doesn't rewire our brains and our souls. Um, and, and that's something where I think um, we, we don't have a lot of power today. We're, we're not, we are really bad at actually helping people find life change. And that's why we end up being rather irrelevant. I have a question. Hey, Brian. Um, 
something that we talked oh, about. Hey, great. <laughs> um, something that we talked about in our breakout group is um, like you talk a lot about helping people have meaningful encounters with Jesus and moving away from kind of this rational, egocentric driven uh, relationship to a more spiritual, mm-hmm. charismatic. Um, do you have advice or tips about walking that journey with people who have had like painful or manipulative experiences in charismatic churches? Oh yeah. Previously? Uh, well, I mean, that's, that is a great question. Um, that's not my background. So I, I have not experienced that personally. And, and, and there's a lot there. Um, obviously there's, People could talk about that or, or, or process that with a counselor for a long time. In some ways, I think that's a different discussion um, because I really want to separate as much as I can in everyone's minds that helping people who have been hurt and burned by the church is not necessarily ministry to secular people. And when we confuse those things, I think ministry to secular people always um, suffers. But I, I think I would primarily remind people of what I said. I don't remember which point this was on the sheet. You guys, you guys have it there. Um, number six is Jesus who saves us from egocentric thinking and living and not merely from bad religion. Human beings are capable of ruining anything. If we become egocentric, the most um, beautiful, the most pure, the most just uh, way of living we can ruin based on our desires. And so anytime religion is used as a means of knowing the right answers or having the truth or having a more comfortable life or getting other people besides me to change and become who I want them to become, it, it's a disaster and it has no power. It misses the whole point. The whole point of Jesus and his kingdom and spirituality is how do I learn to transcend my own ego, my own desires to love people I don't naturally love, um, to, to be wronged and to still care about people, to not insist that I am always right. And yes, it's a lifelong process. None of us have it figured out. But I don't know that we've always understand that distinction again in the modern Western world. Because if we make Jesus as the way to having the answers or or a better life or to get other people to change, a lot of people initially like that. And so that's what a lot of us teach. And I would just try to parse out that difference with my friend. Genuine spirituality does two things. It always overwhelms me with the goodness and beauty of God. And it also leads me to say, here's how I need to change. Genuine spirituality always does two things. False spirituality has a God that I want that God to go get those other people and change them for me and uh, helps me to get what I want. Hey, Brian, we'll just keep going with FPU alum. And, <laughs> um, they're, they're, oh, coming there he is, Eric. they're coming out of the woodwork. 
Um, so yeah, my question would be, I mean, I, I, I love all your points. Um, I think they're for the most part, really spot on. We can argue about some of them, but I think it's good. My, my question would be though, like at this point is like the Sunday morning sermon, the place to be like the best place to be having these conversations with spiritually curious people. Or is it better to take these principles and start applying them to like other ways of connecting with spiritually curious people? I mean, I know we're in a like Jesus-centered preaching forum here, but I'm just wondering if like, you know, hey, the 10 a.m. Sunday morning and we're going to like talk to spiritually curious people is like the best way to go about this. Yeah, that's that, that is a great question. Uh, I wish you were still a student and I was grading you. So so, so you had to say, say, say the right things here, Eric. Um, Eric was an exceptional student, as was Grace. Um, Sunday preaching isn't everything, certainly. And, and anyone who says it is, it's because they really like preaching. Um, it, it's certainly not everything. I would actually say, I think we are post-Christian enough in North America, even in quote-unquote religious areas where people go to church, but they are much more dominated by secular narratives than anything like historic um, kingdom principles. I, I think the kind of things that I mentioned here, you should probably do in every ministry of your church. In, in small groups, in welcome classes, uh, think this way in your justice projects, other people who might be involved and, w- and want to participate, um, counseling ministries. I, I think I would encourage you to think this way with all things. Because what I am not saying is water things down. Um, people outside of faith that in any way are open to God, they don't want to come to church and get milk. They want meat. They want meat that they can understand. They want meat that is not using old cliche religious buzzwords that they don't understand, but they want something complex and challenging. Um, so I, I actually think all of ministry should, should think this way. Um, and, and it would be most helpful for people inside of faith as well. Now, one other thing to say, and this is my little contrarian nature slightly, where, again, I say what's happening on the ground is not always what the bestsellers are saying or what's trending on Twitter. Um, most North Americans, if in any way they are interested in spirituality or God, still want to show up at church and be able to listen to someone talk. Um, I don't think that's gone. I don't think it's everything. And it might be they want to listen more on here now than in the past. Um, but there, there haven't been... Uh, lots of sustained, long-term movements in the Western world, other parts of the world, but not the Western world, that's completely decentralized spirituality. Uh, they tend to be really attractive short-term for people, uh, but but not always for long haul. So, yes, preaching isn't everything. It's, it's just one thing. Uh, but I, I would encourage these principles in, in all aspects of our ministries. Thanks, Eric. Hey, Brian, there's a question in the chat I want to ask you. Mm -hmm. Um, It was back to that one of the points that you made about affections. So what's the difference Mm -hmm. between affections, motives and emotions that you were speaking about? And maybe could you kind of recap, you know, in a secular world, we're being reduced to what you had said, like thinking and emotions and then how affections situates in that. I'll, I'll do my best. Jump in here if I'm not answering that. So. 
again, we're, we're going back a long time here. But if you, if you take the classical Christian concept that at core who we are is what we love or what we desire or what we long for, that is what runs our lives. Um, and it's not that emotions don't matter, but emotions are based on that. So if I have this strong longing, uh, let's say, to get a new job that pays me more money, if I apply and they call me and say they want to interview me, I feel happy. I feel the emotion of happiness. Why? It looks like I'm moving closer to something I value or desire. If I got an email back from the organization being like, are you kidding? No, yeah, we don't want to talk to you. We're not going to hire you. I might feel sad or I might feel angry because something I desire was blocked. So emotions matter because they signal what I desire or what I love or what I value. My concern with certain preachers, maybe most of us of of preachers at times, is we either say, let me teach you what the Bible says Again, information, but that's not necessarily dealing with what I love or desire or value. Yeah. Or I might tell a story that gets you to cry or be happy, but I'm still not dealing with um, is is what your heart set upon, is what your life built upon um, the best thing for you, or does Jesus and his way offer something better? Uh, so I know this is really abstract, kind of kind of high level conversation but but there is a difference and this is some of i think this is some of what james k smith writes about in his mm-hmm. book on yeah. habits yeah. of the heart like that's the he's he's riffing off of wesley with wesley preaching to the affections uh yeah. well wesley certainly talked about preaching to the affections and there's a book that i'm i'm blanking on the name right now uh a, a professor at christian theological seminary in indianapolis who dives into all of this and combines it with contemporary uh, psychological research on the emotions um, that bases it off of Wesley's affections. I think James K. Smith takes it a little bit more from Augustine, who in Anabaptist circles, sometimes he is the name that shall not be mentioned. I think those are from people that haven't read a lot of Augustine personally. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but this, this was something that was part of the air of classical and pre-modern Christian thinking until the last couple of hundred years. Yeah. Hey, if you can remember that book, uh, author, throw it our way and we'll include it in because it, it sounds like it's good. All right. We have, we still have time for more questions. So would love to hear uh, somebody else just unmute yourself and ask a question to Brian. Um, hi. Uh, one, one, um, passage I often hear pastors referring to is, you know, Paul's reference to, I desire to be all things for all people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, you know, point number three, you talked about, about what was, what's the word? The, uh, the psychographic. I was like, that's, yes. I like that. Um, how do we resonate those two things of, you know, trying to reach um, all different types of people trying to, you know, that sort of thing, but also recognizing that we are, you know, we are, we are ourselves and we reach people like us the easiest. Um, th- thanks, Daniel. Uh, yes, that's one of my favorite passages, 1 Corinthians 9. And uh, my students who've had me in class probably remember me uh, referencing that way too often. Um, I, I do think that is the basic principle, is that 
I am willing to change the way I operate culturally in order to build a bridge with someone so that they can understand Jesus and the kingdom. Um, and I fully agree. I, I completely agree with that. Um, Paul was a little different because he wasn't pastoring a church for uh, the same church in the same community forever. He was starting churches. And so in some communities, he's going to be like the Greco-Romans as if he's not Jewish. In other communities, he's going to go to the synagogue and, and, and follow the kosher laws to some degree and, and build a connection with the Jewish uh, community because he's trying to start a church there and he's trying to proclaim Jesus there. I think we could see this in the book of Acts where you have Peter preaching at Pentecost in Acts 2 and he's quoting the scriptures over and over and over. Why? Jewish audience. They believe the God of the Bible. They believe in the scriptures. Boom, 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 boom. And kind of going at them where you have Paul at Mars Hill in Acts 17 where um, he's quoting um, a couple of Greek poets directly, but even their statements, people that have read Plato know he's quoting, he's, he's going through a, um, a basic form of a uh, platonic defense in the mouth of Socrates as well. And he doesn't quote scripture at all um, as he's trying to proclaim who Jesus is. So depending on who we are connecting with in our culture, we're going to take different approaches. The, the, the psychographic, I just think it's real, and I don't think you can get away from it. Because I've even had friends say, well, yeah, but my best friend pastors a church that is intentionally multicultural. They're doing that on purpose. And I would say, great, that's amazing. But my guess is the kind of, per it's a certain psychographic who wants to go to a multicultural church. Um, because there's lots of people, and it's not just white people, but there's lots of people that say, I want church um, to, to, to be like people who think like me. We, we all do. And so whenever you are deciding what kind of songs you sing or not, um, again, as the preacher, what kind of clothes I'm wearing or not on Sunday, how long church is, you are predetermining for a psychographic already. We just normally don't think through that. Um, and so I'm just encouraging that to be a little more uh, intentional, if you will. All right. Thanks. Hey, uh, Brian, I have a question. This has been really good. I love uh, each of the points. They are in my notes that I'll go back and reflect on. Uh, but I do have a specific question mm -hmm. on point five. Uh, just want to get a little more uh, unpacking of that mm -hmm. uh, with framing Jesus as a mystical sage. What yep. exactly do you mean by that? Especially in light of uh, Peter's confession, when Jesus asks, you know, who do men say I am? And it's this whole list, prophet, all these things. Yeah. Um, you know, but then his confession is, you know, you are the Christ, son of the living God, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but father, how would you unpack that a little more? Thank you, Keith, and, uh, and and let me know if I'm if I'm not fully understanding your question. Uh, yeah, forgive my my uh, academic uh, speak a little bit here. I don't think I would use the word mystical sage from the pulpit if I was preaching. Um, 
yes, he he is the Christ. He he is the risen Son of God. He is uh, the Son of Man. He he is the Messiah, second person of the Trinity incarnate. I believe all of those things. I think for at least some here, I was trying to move us back to Jesus being a spiritual figure and not primarily, again, in one of our modern Western categories as someone who primarily lives um, for, again, academic language, the imminent frame or this world only, but trying to rediscover and for some of us already have this, but for some of us, it's been a little while, rediscover Jesus as a uh, spiritual leader, a spiritual figure who's talking about spiritual things, many times otherworldly things, who's in connection with the world beyond. Uh, again, the, the miracles are all through the Gospels, and yet, at least in certain Anabaptist circles, we kind of kind of push those to the side. And we'll get to the stuff more about like loving your enemy only. Um, and I just think the, the, uh, the spiritual lens and um, even the otherworldliness is something unique that we can offer people today because it's found almost nowhere else in our culture. Yeah, that's that's excellent. That, that really helps. Um, my background's coming from a little more of a probably charismatic background. So mm-hmm. that's a little more natural. For sure. Uh, but that makes a lot of sense. So, hey, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Keith. So we have time for one more question. Um, there's one in the chat. We'll just go ahead and ask it. Um, what are some of the ways, Brian, that preachers can learn to better exegete our culture? as well as the scriptures? Well, um, that is part of my, um, was it workshop? Is that what they're called? That is part of my workshop um, <laughs> question is, as uh, is, is we get in that a little bit. I do think, uh, and, and this is a Brian opinion, but I do think our, because our culture is increasingly post-Christian, at least in the places of influence, um, I don't think we have the luxury anymore of just being ourselves and doing church. I think all of our jobs as ministry leaders have to be as amateur uh, cultural exegetes. Um, almost like if you were, if, if God called you to be a missionary to China and you were a Westerner, what would you do? You'd probably read Chinese history. Uh, you would learn the language. You would want to understand key holidays social norms, how it's different from um, the U.S. or Canada, um, how you ought to carry yourself there. Uh, you would make that your job to, to become an amateur outsider expert on Chinese culture. And I think all of us as ministry leaders, we have to do this now as a way of life. We, we have to do this as a way of life. Um, now, we also all enjoy it. Listen to music, listen to podcasts, watch YouTube, Netflix. We all enjoy it. I think a different thing happens when you make it a regular, like almost an appointment in your calendar to explore the culture as an outside observer to note what are the narratives and values going on underneath, because these are impacting uh, those that we want to reach for the kingdom. If you just consume it, which I do too, it's fine. You become familiar with it, 
but you, you don't see it the same way as if you intentionally sit down and say, I want to take an hour and I'm going to watch this or listen to this or go on this website. And I want to ask myself, what are the values here? What are the narratives here? What are the beliefs here? How do they line up with Jesus? And how are they contrary? Because every, every culture in some way resonates with Jesus because we're all made in the image of God. And in some way is against uh, because we are all sinful people as well, particularly in the collective. And so a good, a good minister, a good missionary is always saying, where is the culture resonating with Jesus that I can create as a connection point? Yep. But where is the culture in contrary to Jesus in the kingdom that, that, that kind confrontation there is actually where people will find life change. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Brian. Uh, on behalf of all of us, we just want to say thank you very much for being a part of this and offering your excellent thoughts. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media or you can email us at connect at JesusCollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.